and you've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep-voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television. So it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, please do so immediately. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communication. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easier for the average resident to understand what the Council does, demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the D.C. Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we're going to try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You're going to learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, and learn about the institution. So without any further ado, let me introduce Councilmember Trayon White of Ward 8. Hey, what's going on, Josh? How are you, man? I'm awesome. I'm glad you're Good. here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so you, you are a native Washingtonian. Born and raised. Yep. Southeast Washington, D.C. Greater Southeast, what it once was. Mm-hmm. Now, have you have you lived outside of D.C. at all? Uh, or only 100%? Pretty much when I went to college and came right back. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, now, tell us a little bit about your about your upbringing. Yeah, I know I know you um, definitely had some complications, some challenges. Complications, that's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm 33 years old. I'm a father, homeowner in Ward 8. Uh, graduated University of Maryland Eastern Shore. I uh, graduated Magna Cum Laude. I grew up. I graduated from Baloo Senior High School, class of '02. Um, just, just been blessed to get an opportunity to have some gifts early on that I was able to express through sports. Um, I wasn't able to go to the NFL. They said if you can't play, coach. And so <laughs> I started coaching um, at the age of 17. I was a senior high school. And I started coaching and really giving back. And I saw uh, some of the social ills facing out uh, young boys of color in, in, in Ward 8. And we won football games, but we were losing in life. Because we, my second year of college, I came back coach every year while I was in school. We lost five of those young men to homicide, all under the age of 16. And so I dedicated my life to serving that population and included the young ladies at some point by starting a nonprofit, working in the community with ERCPCP. Um, just a strong community-based guy, no real titles at first, no real uh, notorious brand, just want to be a servant, that's all. Gotcha. From what I hear, you can't walk the streets of the ward without people coming up to you. That, yeah, that you're, you're a known figure and uh, an approachable figure. Yeah, I just uh, got finished doing some work over D.C. jail. I have a program inside the jail for fathers um, every Wednesday since I've been in office since January 2017. And so I pride myself on being able to touch and reach the people. Now, I can't reach everybody, so it's, you know, it's caused a little ruckus because everybody want to talk about their issues or got an idea, which I totally embrace. But I'm just trying to figure it all out, man, going from having a, most of my career being a community activist 
to being a school board member to being a council member, just trying to transition. And I, I had a love for the people because the people love me. Um, I'm a grassroots guy. I'm from grew up in the neighborhood. Played in the local boys and girls club number eleven. Um, just uh, got blessed with some opportunities and took my education serious and got some opportunities to get out the neighborhood. But I pride myself on the principle in Africa tradition we call Sankofa, return to your roots and give back. And so I've been giving back and serving with little to nothing and got the opportunity to lead. And so I, the people voted for me, so now I'm in. So I got some work to do, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about what you were hearing at the jail. What 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 are people... What, what are people in that situation dealing with? So some and people are stressed with some of the uh, structural things involved in the penal system. They feel like they're overcharged for certain penalties that they're receiving. Uh, GC jail is kind of what we call a holding place until you get sentenced or released. And so some people have been over there a period of two to three years without even being convicted of their crime. Um, and so they're fighting their uh, court cases. Uh, a lot of people over there are African-American men. And even some Latino, uh, Hispanic population is there. Um, I think that we have to start re-strategizing now uh, how we uh, equate justice in, in, in the city and in the country. Um, and so I talked to a lot of men that concerned about the health issues in the, in the facility. Um, at one point, he was talking about air not being circulated in the building. And uh, some of the staff is there talking about their issues. Remember, you know, they want to get raises, but feel like the administration is not giving them raises, but bringing in a lot of people from Baltimore. Uh, so it's a lot of issues, but we want to stabilize and give men vision because there, well, there's no vision that people perish. And we utilize our relationships inside the jail to try to calm some of the violence down on the street because they have a lot of influence. Yeah. And what do you think? I know there's a lot of people that are out in the federal prison system that are far from home. And there's some talk about uh, building a prison back here so people can be close to their loved ones. I'm, you... I'm in total support of that. I had to, I go to a lot of the prisons out of town. In fact, Tony Lewis, along with Jimmy Jenkins, Councilmember Robert White, Councilmember uh, Kane McDuffie took a trip to Cumberland uh, uh, facility a few months ago when I've been there a few times to do programming and, and in conjunction with this is a guy, one of the activists that's been locked up over 20 years, came home to do programming, Dominique Henry. Uh, we have a show coming out through HBO um, and serving the prison population and making sure we got the resources when they come home because I have, I'm, I'm not a returning citizen, but a lot of my family members are. So it's incumbent upon me as a leader to address all populations and, and the spirit of Murray and Burry. You know, he used to always say, you know, people talk about returning citizens, but I'm a returning citizen. And so he created a lot of bridges for people to come home and have an opportunity to, uh, at life and, and to have not just equality, but equity and, and surviving and, and learning and growing in D.C. Tell me a bit more about this HBO uh, opportunity. That's the first I've heard of it. Uh, where it's spearheaded around the, the young man, Dominique Henry, who's been in the penal system, but he has a lot of programs going on through the Federal Bureau of Prisons uh, for, uh, throughout the country, and he is doing a lot of work. And so we just support him in his work because the, a lot of it's our population. We have over 60,000 returning citizens in Washington, D.C. right now. So that's about 10 percent of the population. So. Right. We're just trying to organize about creating opportunities to figure out what their need is so they can be constructive parts of the community. Because we know through mass incarceration, a lot of African-American men have been removed from the family, thus crippling the family. And we still haven't survived or re really recovered from the crack epidemic that swept through Washington, D.C. What is the what is the biggest challenge for returning citizens? I mean, I can't imagine. It seems like there's got to be a mountain of them. 
pretty much they're coming back to a city that doesn't look the same anymore. And the price of living has simply gone up. And so they're trying to get reacclimated, trying to identify family while getting the resources. Um, it's a lot of runaround. Um, and they've been disconnected for so long. Uh, it, they're trying to find housing. You know, affordable housing is a, a term that's used too loosely in the city where it's not affordable for everybody. And, uh, and those who don't have the resources to to pay to live here, they got to go live. Got to go live with a lot of family members and friends, and, and they grown men trying to be up in somebody's apartment with their did not their children or family members, and it's it's just a tough situation where uh, they don't feel comfortable. So some of them result back to a life of crime, unfortunately. So we're trying to build bridges. Not to simply give a hand out, but a hand up. And so we had the resource in the city. We just had to make it a priority and address this population. Now, um, I know you're the youngest council member on this council. Yep. And what I haven't figured out, and I don't know if you know, is are you the youngest council member in history? No, I don't believe I am. I believe that maybe Fenty, Adrian Fenty, was younger okay. than me as a council member. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Um so the thing, I think a lot of council members can talk from personal experience about some government interactions, but they're kind of day-to-day stuff. You know, it's like the roads are bad or they go to the run through the park and they can talk about the park or the line at the DMV. But a lot of council members are not, a lot of the policy they're, they're um, uh, putting through is not stuff they've lived. Right. And I think you have uh, an, a real... Uh, responsibility in the sense that you've lived a lot of this stuff you know I mean you came up in the schools you had your own struggles you had your own struggles with the with the justice system so you know this stuff and you know firsthand people who know this stuff and I think that's got to be a a privilege but also a burden because yeah. people feel themselves in you yeah and vice versa it's definitely a, a burden Josh uh, I think that part of the struggle is that I know so many people and people are easily accessible, um, trying to give them resources to help them in their situation. I think that's one of the reasons why I ran for office, because I was already somewhat popular as a young man doing a lot of things in the community. And I figured if I get in office, I can utilize the government resource to create bridges for people. And we began writing bills about getting people into UDC, uh, community college for free. We started talking about decreasing the penalties that relates to, to, to tickets and, um, and toll fees in the district. We started talking about... Uh, creating opportunities for gross, more grocery stores in the ward. In fact, we're opening two recreation centers in Ward 8 and two new grocery stores in Ward 8. For a long time, we had one grocery store serving 75,000 residents, which is in itself criminal. Yeah. 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 Tell, me about the, tell me about both of those a little bit more. Um, so, the rec uh, centers and the supermarkets. So I grew up in the city, and growing up, we had a lot of recreation centers. We had a recreation center. Baloo had a recreation center. Hart or Kramer. Uh, catch them, number 11 Boys and Girls Club, and now all those recreation centers are closed. But we wonder why the youth are in the community, uh, to some of them are doing a lot of destructive things. And so when we don't have something for them to do constructive, we'll lead them to do destructive things. So we have a new recreation center coming to Congress Heights and one coming to Anacostia. We also, I'm going to tell you this, John's looking for support from our colleagues. They get a new senior center, senior center in our ward for uh, fitness. Um, senior Wellness Center. So we're, we're pushing steam four floors ahead to ensure that we're utilizing the 13.5 plus billion dollars in the city plus surpluses to serve the residents who need it the most. And are you seeing that when you get the new rec centers or when the new grocery stores are coming, 
are you getting the same quality as the rest of the city's getting? Is that a struggle? We, we're past uh, quality or equality. We're talking about equity. We're so far behind as it relates to resources and access um, that we need to speed up and be more um, visionary and more strategic and intentional about getting what we need in, in the ward. Because if you look across the city, uh, it just don't look the same. People just not feeling the same. And so we talk about D.C. is prospering. We talk about how to, it's flourishing. A lot of my residents don't feel that because they're, they're homeless. We spend $80,000 a day on homeless services in the district, yet we'd spend a lot of money on development, but not human development. Right. Now, I bet it is um, being being uh, as, as young as you are and um, where you're from, I bet you see a lot of things other council members don't get a chance to see. Because the second they march a council member in, marches into an office somewhere in the city, Everyone snaps to attention, everyone acts a certain way, and insert, they're not really getting a chance to see services the way real people see services. And I'm yeah. betting you have an opportunity. Uh, tell me a couple stories of times when people didn't know you were a council member. And oh, today, this morning, this morning, actually, uh, I went to Martin Luther King Avenue today because we know that there's been an issue with attendance as it relates to our high schools. And on Martin Luther King Avenue, I've been getting a, I've been getting a lot of complaints about students just hanging out, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, not going to school. Um, and so I went up there this morning intentionally to push the young people off the avenue to talk about what their options are, talk about the importance of education and make sure they go to school. When I encountered two young men um, in, in some type of altercation, you know, and um, it was a real situation. I can't go, can't, I'm not going to go into detail on the mic, but yeah, someone could have lost their life this morning if I wasn't there. And so we, I had the opportunity to redirect one of the young men I'm going to follow up today. But uh, we were up there this morning uh, and something kicked off right in front of me in a store. Um, and so we are trying to, and I was talking to the store, the store owner. He had no idea who I was. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I think I have to do a better job of reaching out, not just to the people, but to the businesses in our community to ensure they know who I am, how we can support them. And also make sure we pushing kids out the store into the schools. It shouldn't be 20 kids in this little small store at 10, 15 a.m. That's that's ridiculous. And so I'm going to do my part to hold uh, other people accountable because people got to do their part of holding me accountable. Nobody gets a pass in this administration. Yeah. And and have you had any uh, any incidents like that with, uh, I don't know, with agency heads, with anyone higher up in the government where you were kind of a secret shopper, you know, where they didn't know who they were dealing with? So you got kind of uh, an unvarnished view that that other council members maybe don't get. I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, known in the ward. Not really. Um, I like I just try to make my presence felt by talking to people and sometimes people see people attracting to me and so I try to be friendly as possible but I'm also busy too and so I haven't had any encounters where I was someplace and I, uh, people didn't know who I was and things something escalated and uh, I try to um, be friendly and let people know how you're doing my name is Treyon White I'm the council member for Ward 8 and I try to greet them as, as often as possible mm. now tell me a little bit about your uh, some of your role models because um, I know uh, William Lockridge, uh, Marion Barry, obviously, uh, Carl Racine, who you work with. Talk to me about the importance of having good good local role models. I think it's very critical. Um, as a young man growing up in the city without a father, I always look to find surrogate role models in my community because for a long time as a young man growing up in Southeast, I didn't see a lot of men with uniforms on or working every day. 
And that was a problem. So I started to see, seek myself in other people. And sometimes those people wasn't doing the most constructive things. And so I played Little League football. I was a Little League superstar. That's how a lot of people know me. But I didn't get that much bigger, so I started coaching. And I think that God sent strategic people in my life at a certain time, like William Lockridge, you know. He came to me and saw my leadership. I'm like, man, you need to run for office. I was like, nah, that it's too much crookedness going on in the office, man. If people ain't still in their line, I, I I'm not with that. And so we talked for a extensive period of time. And when on a Thursday, on a Friday, I talked to him for over an hour on the phone. And he was still telling me he wanted me to run for office. And a few hours later, I got a call from Nate Bennett Fleming, who works in my office now, telling Mr. Lockridge went into a coma and he passed. And then his, his wife, Wanda Lockridge, uh, came to me and told me, she talked to her husband that morning. He was talking about me having a political future. Asked me what I run for her husband's seat. I guess it was three weeks later after the repass and the funeral and all that stuff. And I told her I would. Now she's my chief of staff in my office now. But how, how is that? That that's got to be a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah, when you yeah. no, no. The weight coming from the, the weight comes for the mayor for life, Marion Burry. Yeah, who was the people's champion, and you know he had a lot of high expectations um, fulfilling the seat because he did a lot for the for the city. You know, he served as the mayor for four terms, served as the councilman for four terms. He spent the life of service in the city. And so that's some huge shoes to fill. And I can only betray on White. I was able to be a mentee of his and glean from him a lot and learn from his perspectives about inclusiveness and fighting for people to have an uh, equitable opportunity and, and being bold and being outspoken. Um, and so I'm able to leverage a lot of that and being on the council and being in leadership but like you said like even the seniors they're very hard on me because when Murray and Bray passed they felt like no one was going to take care of the seniors and so I spent just yesterday I was at um, one of the senior uh, Congress Heights Senior Center on Martin King Avenue meeting with some seniors doing some programming with them and I did five senior houses on Valentine's Day so I try to keep in the same tradition uh, making sure we are creating an avenue where they can reach us and we can we can advocate for them because they paved the way for me you know they opened up a lot of doors for me Trayon White just didn't get here on his own there were a lot of people who you may not never hear before that paid for me to get books while I was in college brought me back home from school uh, gave me five dollars to get something to eat and then contributed to my success along with Elaine Carter Jane Roberts Janice Pickett I can go down the line of people who invest in me so I feel like man I owe up you know, I got to pay. I got to lay my life down so other people behind me can have opportunity in this forever changing city. Right. And and uh, do I understand correctly that, that uh, Marion Barry left you a voicemail that the, the night he passed? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was uh, that was crazy because somebody called me, one of my friends who's in the fire department, stayed at Marion Barry, which was at the hospital, um, and that he didn't make it. I was like, what? Because I was shocked because I've seen, I've been in the hospital a lot of times, so I call him MB, with MB, and I've seen him not looking good, and he, him not thinking he gonna make it, I'm not thinking he gonna make it, and I come back, and he's just alive and vibing, walking around, you know, I'm like, wow, this happened several times. The media, a lot of media people didn't know about it, but we kept it in the house, and then he passed, I was like, nah, I was like, you know, I, thought, I, I was thinking, I thought Murray called me. I looked at my phone and saw him call, and I don't need to call me. He left a voicemail, and so he was just basically saying he wanted to meet with me the next day and get with me about some stuff we were working on, um, and uh, he never made it to the next day. In fact, he passed away that morning, I think about 1 a.m. I got the call at like 10.30 p.m. And uh, the, uh, the statue is being unveiled yep. uh, coming soon, and uh, I think it's going to be kind of interesting because people outside D.C. don't understand Marion Barry, that they've only heard one side. Um, but, but talk about that, because he is sort of a complicated personality. 
Well, you know, uh, Marion Burry was a champion for people because he went through a lot of struggles that everyday, everyday people go through. You know, he was investigated by the FBI. In fact, they spent over forty million dollars trying to indict Marion Burry. Um, and he, I mean, that's that's pretty common during that time. He was a civil rights leader that became a mayor of a city. Washington D.C., the most powerful city in the world, and he gave uh, opened up a lot of doors. In fact, BET started through Marion Burry. You know, we talk about Bob Johnson being a billionaire, but that traced back to Marion Burry. You talk about Kathy Hughes, that traced back to Marion Burry. You talk about the countless millionaires he made in the city because he believed in giving people access to the wealth of the city. You know, I remember one time he went to New York to get uh, some loans, get some business going on Wall Street for D.C., and they didn't have any black lawyers at the table. And so he told him, if you want to get anybody black working at this firm, don't call me back. He got up out of his seat. He left. They called him back to have five black people working in that firm. And that's the type of attitude he had, demanded respect, and demanded that people have an opportunity to sit at the table. Um, and so that's what he was about, getting people involved. And how do we do a better job uh, educating people outside the district about the mayor? Because, you know, some people are going to see the statue and think, What's going on here? But but I mean, clearly there's that whole side that I don't know, and I, I just don't. I've, I've tried to explain to people, and it's very difficult to get it over. I mean, Murray and Murray tells so many people, I don't spend a lot of time edu- people, educating people outside the district. I'm a living testimony of what he's poured into my life and what I've become personally. When you hear people talk about their stories with Murray and Murray, it's not that they know him from a distance. They feel like they know him personally. They say he gave me get my first summer job. And um, I was talking to a guy over D.C. jail. Uh, today and he was saying that he wouldn't be able to stay in D.C. and keep his house because he was losing his house and he and invented a program to help him keep his house. And so there's so many tangible things he's done for so many people that his legacy will live on forever in this city um, because he was a giant in his own right, you know, and so I don't spend a lot of time convincing. I'm going to live it, you know. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Um. Talk to me a bit about social media. I think another way you're different from pretty much all the other council members is you were born in and live social media. It's not a staffer who's doing it for you. Yeah. You're doing it yourself, and you use it. Uh, I don't know. You, I don't think you know you're using it super effectively, but you're using it super effectively. You know, you're just doing what you do. Yeah. But but talk to me a little bit about that aspect. So I think Trey on White, I've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes for a long time. Prior to, so I remember Black Planet was out my space. And now, and social media is at a place now where you could tell your story before hit mass media, and I maximize those moments. Like, I was in Rocket Ship last night and did a, a video film with some of my guys, my mentees, work for a black history program that's going to take place today, and I get that out there. And so I just utilize and tell a story of what I'm doing every day. I was in D.C. jail today. Like, I put it on there. I was in D.C. jail. But most people may not know that outside of social media. They might think I'm just downtown all day, but I'm in the streets working. Um, and I have a lot of followers. I have about 70,000 followers, if not more, through social media, and I try to keep them informed, and I try to get them involved because there's a lot of people that want to do things that I'm doing. And I'm trying to show them the way to get it done, you know, um, by being the example that other people would like to follow and having integrity and having a fight um, about not just for, for African-Americans, but all people in the city, especially the people that have been here through the, through, the, through the struggle of the cracker and raised their kids here, go to church here, went to school here. We got to fight for those people. And I think I bring that edge to the council. I'm very active on my social media, Instagram. I'm not as active on Twitter, though. I'm not as active on Twitter, but I'm on Instagram a lot, Facebook, um, and I, I try to just tell a story through my social media because one day I won't be here. Maybe that can capture some of the moments I've had and giving back to my community. 
Yeah, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, there was a bit of a news story where you you did what's to me was journalism was investigative journalism when you were on oh, Facebook Live. Yeah, we don't have to go into the details, but I. Yeah. That was compelling. Yeah, I mean, so I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't work while I was listening to that. I yeah. Was just so, so what happened was it was a, a gentleman who, um, and it's a, it's a sensitive topic because it's still ongoing. But it was a gentleman who was a alleged to have uh, chased a girl with a knife and pulled down his pants and, and attempt to sexually assault her. It was actually three girls. Two of the girls allegedly ran, got the mother. The mother came back and the mother took a picture of him turning around as the young girl came running past and to get in her car. And when she when he turned around, his pants were still open, and he had a knife putting it back in his coat. And so she took a picture of him and put it on social media. I didn't hear about it until two days later. When I heard out about it, I was free. I was like, at first I didn't know where it was, and I found out it was in Ward Eight. I'm like, oh, we got to go find him. And so I I put out there, we gonna find him. And so I found him in about 38 minutes. And I got up on him. We went to go talk to him. See what's happening because he was saying he's gonna turn himself in, saying it wasn't true. And then I went to go talk to one of the other girl's mother. And so that was captured on Facebook Live about his version of what happened. And so now it's in, it's in, it's in the hands of the justice system. They got to do their job. But I wanted to, you know, because when people saw this, they, they were going to do something to him in the streets because people didn't know the whole story. And they were saying when they see him, it was going to be a problem. And I know it was definitely going to be a problem. Now, do people push back on you? Because you, you're a different kind of council member and you do things in a different way. Like, you know, that Facebook Live example, going out yourself, uh, you know, uh, going right up to people that are maybe uh, causing trouble. Do, do you hear back from people? Do people say, oh, you need to be a little more like, a, you know, a traditional council member or like, do people just love it? Most people love it, but those they are, it's always naysayers when it comes to leadership. And I can't seek approval of, every, of everyone. You know, I got to do... I have to do what I feel like God is calling me to do, and that's to be a fearless leader. I do that with, man, everybody. No one, it don't matter, you know, if you're 25, 55, 85, you know, and I don't, I'm not able to do it all the time because I don't have the capacity to go everywhere, but it's about, you know, making sure our kids, we're not going to have a community where our kids don't feel safe. That's why you always hear me talking about crime and violence. You know, bad things happen when good people do nothing. There's enough good people in the community that can do something to create a solution. And I try to get the young people involved because the solution lies within the problem. We got to get them on board and re-educate and turn them around so they can be change agents in their community. So that's what I, that's the work I do on a daily basis when no one else is watching me. I'm in I'm at the movies with a group watching a Black Panther. I got I'm inside the schools. I'm organizing the business community. Start giving back to the local football teams. I'm advocating for the seniors. I'm doing programming. I'm a council member to do programs directly myself in the jail. So. I'm very hands-on and very active. I'm the youngest council member, so I got to use my energy while I have it. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you, because you are so young, what what would life, at, maybe it's decades away, what would life look like after elected service? I don't know, man. My life has sped up so fast, man. Um, I, ha- I, I had no idea Mr. Locker was going to die that quick, and I had no idea Murray Burry, because he was the nine lives, live forever type of guy and so I ran the first time I lost and you know I got back in the race and the people got behind me to elect me and I think you know I've found out now that I'm electable I'm here to serve I'm trying to be right now I'm focused on being a good council member a lot of people talk about all this you know they got a lot of aspirations for Treyon White but I want to leave a legacy of what I'm doing right now and maximize the moments I don't know what's next you know but I want to have a track record of doing what I said I was going to do while I was running 
And so I'm committed to doing that. That's why we got two new grocery stores hoping to water. Got an infrastructure academy, which we put $17 million coming to water. We got a lot of different things coming to water. That service project that people can like to hold, like to hold on to and, and get and get their lives on the right track and encourage more local business in our community. So I'm very intentional about that. I don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. You know, I'm just like I'm just like Michael Jackson taking that one step at a time on that on that on that light. Wherever it takes me, I'm I'm ready. I hear you. Now this has been uh, more serious than a lot of these radio shows have been with some of your colleagues. Um, yeah. But something we do is a bit of a icebreaker. Is okay. I want you to look at this list. This is a list of dessert items. Okay. And I want you to rank them from your favorite to your least favorite. I'll read it out for the audience: cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, and pie. Okay, so I'm actually eating some ice cream in my car now, made with cookies. So I'm gonna go with ice cream. I'm gonna go with I got an apple pie in my car too. Look at it. I'm gonna go with ice cream pie, cookies, cake, and I'm gonna put candy last, man. Cause I gotta take care of my teeth, man. You know, gotcha. ain't trying to be looking crazy with it. <laughs> gotcha. I I just think it's fascinating. Everyone has super strong opinions on this stuff. Oh, so. Okay. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for indulging me in that Definitely. one goofy thing in an otherwise uh, critical, uh, serious interview. But yeah. uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. So I'm going to say to our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Tune in next time. We're on DC Radio, which is at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or online at dcradio.gov. Thanks very much for taking the time. Thank you to Councilmember White for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Peace.